I have just uh, read a new play by our old friend Anthony Clarvo that is about a plague and its very first stage direction says throughout the action until the very end no one approaches with within arm's reach of anyone else the exception is the character of Harmon and only when he wears protective clothing no object is handed directly from one person to another everyone on stage is isolated in space and the weird thing is, this is not actually a new play. <laughs> this was written <laughs> at least 30 years ago. It's called The Living. Um, Anthony, why was your warning about the dangers of not social distancing uh, more loudly expressed to all of us? <laughs> yeah, right? I Like, how do, did my play not manage to thwart this whole situation? I blame myself. If only it had, had more jokes in it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 729, Anthony Clarvo's Living. Anthony Clarvo's play, The Living, takes place in London during the plague year of 1665, and its echoes to current events are unmistakable. The Living was first workshopped in 1991 at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles, and then had additional readings and workshops until its world premiere production at the Denver Center Theater in 1993. Since then, it's been produced consistently over the decades around the country and around the world for reasons you're about to hear. It's powerful, moving, and genuinely funny in places, so I was thrilled to chat with Anthony about how the living was inspired by the AIDS crisis of the 1980s, how he discovered his play's sources, and how the living speaks to our current moment so powerfully. One was just looking around for a, a good book to adapt, uh, and Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year. I mean, I read Maul Flanders and other, Defoe, I mean, I read everything in the public domain, basically, and um, read that and was just immediately galvanized by, by what he had done. It's not really a journal, it's a novel in journal form that he wrote about the plague that had happened when he was a young boy, but he was writing in the 1720s when plague threatened again. Mm -hmm. And as somebody with his pulse on the, the zeitgeist knew that people were thinking about issues of, how do we respond if the plague comes? How do we try to keep it from our shores? Do we quarantine people? Do we, you know, is there any kind of public support for this? What do we do? Um, and he wrote the book and it was such a fantastically successful uh, simulation of a real journal of somebody living through the plague that it had, that it was reprinted and pirated as if it had been, you know, a real document rather than his own compilation of what he could learn from his sources from from um, you know people who had been alive during that time and so on it was such a successful pseudo document that ultimately I found I couldn't adapt it it just all the all of its best strengths were what made it seem like a piece of written writing right um, and so I did what he did. I, I looked at primary sources. I 
dug up all the documentation I could, uh, the voices of people who had been alive during that time, and uh, and and history from you know subsequent sources and so on, and and wrote it uh, over the winter of, of 1991, and uh, and and then you know drafts since then. What's been really striking, two things for me, one, a lot of it really turned out to be a response in a kind of visceral way, not only to, to AIDS in the Bay Area community, but also to the Lower Pregada earthquake that had happened the year before. Right. So a lot of the descriptions of what it's like to walk you know, down a street where there's you know, no traffic and nobody passing, at that point, that wasn't AIDS, but it was the immediate aftermath of the earthquake. Uh, and so that was a very powerful connection for me between this time and, and that time. Um, and of course, you know, we're seeing it now again, uh, you know, the extraordinary, the periods where there seemed to be no traffic and nobody walking around. Well, People are really responding to now. I mean, it was the reason. The reason I was the reason I discovered it is because you posted on Facebook that um, uh, there was a production at San Jose State University mm -hmm. where they yep. were doing it, as you say in your stage directions, isolated right. in space, and so it was it was safe. And so I was moved to read it. And exactly those passages that you that you talk about walking through empty streets that used to be filled, you don't know where you are. It has right. it has such a it speaks to our current moment so right. um, powerfully, right. and I was going to say wonderfully, but un, sort of unfortunately. Well, this has been the, the extraordinary thing with this play. I mean, I really did think this is something I just have to write. I felt like the more I read, and especially the more I was reading in, I was writing it in Minnesota as it happened. I was there uh, on a fellowship uh, to the wonderful Playwright Center mm -hmm. in Minneapolis. And I was doing the research, I went over to the University of Minnesota. Well, they have a medical school. And so they have a lot of documents of the history of medicine. And I would look in there and this will date this project card catalog. Uh, and for, uh, for sources on the topic of the plague and the history of the plague. And they kept sending me up to the rare books collection. Mm. And, and I would be handed by white gloved people first editions of the books written by a number of the characters in this play, literally an object that had been, you know, not only written by, but, you know, printed by, bound by, bought by, read by people who had lived during the plague of 1665. And to feel that they had literally, you know, handed me this story was a powerful experience and, and really a sense that it was my obligation to try to pass this along. So I was really compelled and thought, all right, this is such a quixotic project because, you know, it's kind of dark. Um, it's gone on to be easily my most produced play. It's happened all over the world over the last three decades. Um, basically, anytime there's a disaster in a community, somebody decides to do this play. So in the wake of uh, Fushima in Japan, in the wake of Katrina in New Orleans, in Florida after um, hurricanes and and in uh, St. Louis after flooding there and so on. Yeah. It just it seems to be part of a project of theater people looking for ways to, you know, talk about community and the threats to a community by a disaster and and the the temptation to stand apart from each other when what we need to do is find each other. 
um, it's it's turned out to be a, a useful um, occasion uh, to 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 work with, and that's been incredibly gratifying and a, and a total surprise to me. And then here comes this, um, here comes COVID, and yeah, and and there have been not just that wonderful uh, production, but uh, a dozen now different productions of like on Zoom or. Um, you know, distanced in various ways, filmed and then uh, and then uh, put up online, all sorts of different iterations, and it's been wonderful to watch all these different um, ways of approaching the text in the evolving environment that we're in right now around how to do theater, how how theater people can make work. Uh, so I think San Jose State has been sort of the most staged that I've seen, but literally the same week. There was a, as far as I can tell, fully staged production at um, in South Dakota, uh, and you know, and the sort of thing you know, you know, because we have the same publisher, you know, you get a report uh, eventually of where things have been done, but unless they reach out, we don't even necessarily know uh, yeah. in advance. But um, this happened to like, cross my radar via Google, and it's like, really, South Dakota in the middle of their surge, yeah. okay. Uh, you know, I hope the risks are, are worth the reward. Um, so the places this thing is gone um, have been really quite, quite striking. My name is Lauren Gunderson. I'm the playwright for The Book of Will, among other plays. And you are listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Right now, the only place to see the remote Shakespeare Company is online. We've created a brand new page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, and a playlist on our YouTube page, where right this second you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. You can also grab your own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin, and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It makes a fabulous holiday gift, and it's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to independent bookstores in the U.S. and the UK on our website. Now back to my conversation with Anthony Clarvo talking about his 30-year-old play, which is also wonderfully, powerfully, right up to the moment, The Living. I was struck that it has both an intimate and an epic feel. You're not just focusing on one person who wrote a journal, but you're, there are many points of view in the story. And I, and I, that was that was clearly conscious because it seems like you could have focused just on one, but you were trying to draw a bigger picture. Yeah, well, I love having a, a group protagonist anyway. I have difficulty just in, as a writer doing the kind of the hierarchy that says this is a play about one one person and everybody else is kind of down the pyramid in importance from that mm -hmm. single point. It's just not how I think and. Uh, in general, at any rate, and and so, I my own tendency to to like to tell, you know, a variety of stories within a play, but but also, um, the sense in a larger way that the whole theme of the play, that the real story of the play, was uh, the, 
of an event that did uh, tempt people for good reasons and not good reasons to distance from each other, but also to otherize each other, to, to point fingers, to be accusatory, to that, that it does, an event like this does spotlight the, the rifts in a society and, uh, and exacerbate those, um, you know, those gaps from, from person to person and, and class to class and, and so on, gender to gender. And um, one of the things that was striking in the history that I was reading about this particular plague, this particular event, was the way in which um, that community the leadership across you know, many disciplines in that community managed to a surprising degree actually to, to resist that impulse to happen sometimes really quite accidentally upon means by which uh, a lot of the most terrible results of, of an event like this um, were, were at least somewhat avoided. And so it really did feel like an exemplary story, not just, oh, look, these people suffered and were suffering, but these people actually took action. These people acted responsibly. These people acted um, generously and uh, that we would be well served by knowing this story because it was an obscure history, not well known, certainly in this country. Yeah. And I thought, let's take a look at this because this actually... This feels like a much better approach to this thing than what I'm seeing from, you know, from, certainly from the national government in the United States right. uh, toward toward AIDS at that time, and and just in general as a response to our troubles. So that was really um, that was a powerful impetus to make it in the form that it was. That really was the story of the kind of the creation of a group protagonist, the creation of community, that the problem was separation and that through the course of the play, some people would be lost, some people would separate themselves, but but a, a core group of people would actually st stick to what they needed to do, take responsibility, um, find each other and, um, and, yeah, and, and work to survive. One of the things that was really moving in all the things that I was reading was uh, in various ways, in, in the various books, and we're talking about sermons and medical prescriptions and proceedings of the aldermen, the government, the, the government of London, John Grant, the father of population statistics, writing you know, about the ways in which the plague was spreading and so on. They all said basically a variation of, I'm writing this not because it matters what happens to us, um, but because of what might happen to you uh, and what we did may be of use to you if this effort should happen again. Um, so in that same spirit of, of, you know, of generosity and, and community to generations unknown, um, they, that's how they were thinking. And that just seemed extraordinarily good to me. Ooh, and and your play is very much written in that same spirit of 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 passing on the good works of others in the hopes that possibly you know we can learn by their example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, that's, that's the hope, and also you know a certain amount of people behaving badly because that's part of the spectrum of what we do. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was a it was a it was a fervent time thirty years ago. I see that one of the workshops was directed by Oscar Eustace, mm-hmm. who who I think went on from this to direct another play about <laughs> a, a, a plague on a national scale, Angels in America. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, no, he was. Yeah, he was working with Tony at around that same time, and the the play was in was in development right around right around then. And in fact, the uh, so that was that workshop was done at uh, it was really a workshop production. It was fully staged um, at the Taper, and you know, the Sarah Chandler, the female lead, was Ellen McLaughlin, who then went on to play the Angel. In, in wow! Um, so yeah, all that um, a lot of a lot of tight connections. Um, and uh, and it makes me wonder whether our current uh, COVID pandemic will similarly um, uh, inspire a lot of works about how to survive during uh, a, a plague. I certainly hope so. And my sense is that um, that we're seeing a that we're seeing a lot of that. I, I think a lot of a lot of younger artists that and and politically aware artists that I know are really working. Um, yeah, on these issues, and not just COVID, but also the you know, the other things that have really, you know, been brewing in the society and have come to the fore in our national consciousness to more people this year around you know racial injustice and and um, you know, and the otherizing of of people. One of the things that was really striking to me in working on the play and talking about this play with a lot of younger artists, because let's face it, most artists are younger than than we are at this point. Uh, but especially in a college and university context, um, you know, this is a play that's you know being performed at this point by you know, by companies of of people you know all but unimaginable to the historical characters that are being depicted. Mm. And what's great is they're just taking the story and making it their own. So you know, there are dreamers in in productions of this play. Yeah. yeah, there are African American people. There are women playing, you know, roles that were written as men. They're just taking it and making use of the story, and and saying, right, there are people in this play, characters in this play who are being yeah, exiled and otherized because of their religion, because they're not Church of England, because they're dissenters, uh, and uh, they're being persecuted. They're being you know, denied. Uh, their basic rights. We get that. Thank you very much. We'll just take that now and and use that, make it our our own. And yeah, and and other people talking about we're yeah by nature of of our class, people in my family are being asked to do dangerous work. And you know, the plague of sixteen sixty five was called the poor people's plague. Anybody with money got out. Yeah. And uh, and who was left were people who couldn't afford to get out. And who had to live, you know, paycheck to paycheck, um, and and a lot of the people who are in the cast of this show now, that's the lives that they and their family are living right now, and so they are clearly hungry for chances to talk about again, you know, not just what COVID is like, but you know, given COVID, how do we then deal with you know the economic stratification and, and inequality in society, racial inequality in the society, how this thing is is highlighting your, the vastly disparate impacts on men and women in society. 
um, and yeah, and very much around um, yeah, who can afford to kind of skate through this thing, and you know, and and who is forced onto the front lines of it. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Anthony Clarvo's The Living makes for a powerful read in our current moment. You can buy your own copy wherever you buy books, or you can buy physical or digital editions directly from the publisher, Broadway Play Publishing, at broadwayplaypub.com. Then send us your reactions to current events via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSC Podcast on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Anthony Clarvo on Twitter too at Anton BC. Thanks as always to Plague Dr. Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Helen Chan. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to another playwright who responds very well to the current moment, Lauren Gunderson. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 729-2187 of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I guess the good news is now, since you've already written The Living, you can now write something in response to our current moment that has even more jokes. <laughs> yeah, that would, yeah, that would be a good thing. Well, I kind of leave that to you. I, I mean, come on. <laughs> the comedy guys always pay for the tragedy guys. I think that goes back to the Greeks. Happy to do my bit. <laughs> Thank you for your service. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.